Hi, I'm Melinda Hill, and you're listening to Lit with Melinda Hill, a podcast about all things that light me up. Well, it sounds like you're busy. I'd like to see people being congratulated on social media for not marrying the wrong person. I hope that ends up working out for you. Hi, Drew. I'm so happy to see you because this podcast is all about people making their dreams come true. And few people have been as prolific as you at. That's so nice of you. Thank you. Living your dreams, living your best life. I want to hear how you. Well, today I'm on the I'm on the side of Melrose, just like watching great, gorgeous, luscious traffic slide by. Um, <laughs> I just got a massage. It's a, it's a great Thursday, Melinda. It's so good to see you. It's so good to see you too. I was trying to think on my walk today. I was like, I feel like I've known you forever, but do you remember the first time we met? Where was it? How was it? I feel like we probably met in a class at the Groundlings a million years ago, but then I know we were in an improv group called Dangerous Cookies. Like... Oh gosh, 20 years. Yeah. Oh, a minute ago when we were just babes, we were barely born, just fresh, new on the, on the streets, carrying our, <laughs> carrying our headshots, <laughs> carrying a billboard with our headshots on it across Sunset Boulevard to do a 25 minute improv set at, at the comedy store and just feeling alive. <laughs> like I try to remember like those magical moments when I first lived out here, when I had nothing going on career-wise, but I was just like, I'm doing a show. I'm at the comedy store. We should always hold on to that. It's kind of magical. Like always believe in Santa Claus. You know, it's, it's hard. This is a tough business. So it's like, enjoy those little moments of like, we did it. We did a thing because I can get really mired down in the, you know, the adult part of the whole thing. You know what I mean? For sure. How did that set as dangerous cookies go for us? Because I have zero memory. I'm thinking I may have blocked it out. So walk me through. Oh, we were good. We were good. No, I mean, I think, (laughs) I mean, I remember it being fun, but I also was just like so happy to have like a stage like to play on. And, you know, and it was just like, I remember it was just like a really, you know, we always had like small crowds. They would yell at us when we didn't have enough people there. They would cut our set in half. <laughs> it would be like a cast of 10 with an audience of eight. And we were just like, we're doing it, you know. So um, I remember years ago, but this was not one that you were in. I don't think, maybe you guessed it, Coltones, but there was one, we used to do shows at the Maskers Cabaret, which was like on Third Street Promenade. And that guy that ran that would charge us money. And I, if we didn't have enough people there, I remember writing a check for like $100 or $200 when I was like, just had no money to spend on that. Like I paid him so that we could like do improv at his theater. Anyway. Hey man, those are the, those are the things you do, you know? Yeah. I mean, ultimately it did all pay off. I mean, now the improv pays at least $25 to perform. Oh, it's that. You know, it's just such a lucrative business improv. I mean, other people get into, you know, fintech or, you know, I don't know, Bitcoin or whatever. I'm like, no, let's let's just make things up and uh, do space work in front of other hopefuls. Great. <laughs> Drew, what are your top favorite memories of us knowing together? I thought of a few today. Oh, we have so many. Well, we were neighbors for like six, seven years mm-hmm. and lots of adventures there. Lots of fun neighborhood, just insanity. But I did love like coming home and like when your door would be open and we could just like in the afternoon and just like we would just like vent 
and like share like highs and lows. And it's, it's really nice to have an actor bud, comedy bud nearby to just go, oh, can I just blow up about this dumb thing? Or can I just celebrate this small victory or whatever? Because um, it can feel very lonely ultimately in doing this. You know, it's great, but you like, you work with whoever you're working with at the time and then you kind of go away and you're like, what's next? And so I definitely remember that. What else? What are, what are some memories that you have? Some memories I have. We lived next to Richard and, well, our land woman was Greta. Yeah. She would come over and accuse <laughs> accuse me of throwing my thongs down the drain and clogging. Yes, she, and she accused my friends of throwing thongs down a drain. She didn't name you, but she would <laughs> she would tell me, and this was, you know, this woman was like on her way out of being a landlady and onto just a life of retirement. I'll just put it that way. But she definitely had some wild conspiracy theories because one day she knocked on my door and she said, I don't know who your friends are, but someone is shoving thongs and panties down your pipes. <laughs> and then she had a bag of like charred, like it was like these, it looked like like burnt rags. And she was like, these were in your pipes. I don't know how she got into my pipes. I wasn't complaining about anything with my pipes. I had no problems. I don't know why she was telling me this. And then I also was like, my friends, like, do you think I have like dastardly villain friends? Like my friends, the Joker and the Penguin came over and like, ha ha ha, let's shove lingerie down Drew's pipes. And none of it made any real sense, but I was like, good to see you. Thanks, Greta. <laughs> Adventures. Yeah, God bless. It's, and I think- you know, that it's, it's never a dull moment. You live in Hollywood. It's always like, what character? Because I do think everyone moved out here with some sort of like, I'm going to California, with some idea of that. And it's always yeah. wild. Like, what's your story? Now you're shoving panties down, blaming your tenants. Yeah, yeah. What is your story? Because one time, I mean, I'm pretty sure she'll never listen to this podcast. So we might be safe to discuss Oh, no. This. But um, avid podcast listener, she was one thing I remember is I found one of her bank statements lying around my home (laughs) from some time she had visited, I guess, just dropped it or maybe planted it. We'll never know. But it literally the statement she had millions of dollars in her account. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I I remember like she wouldn't deposit our rent for like months sometimes. And one day I got into major trouble because I thought, oh, I have more money than I thought I did in the bank. And then I couldn't get a coffee because she had deposited three months rent in one day. Oh, now I have no money. But it, uh, it didn't really matter to her, like when you paid or what. And that can be good and bad. Sometimes you're like, deposit this now because I know I have it. And um, yeah. wow. And I, yeah. And um, she drove a Camaro. I mean, she was <laughs> She yeah. was in her 70s, 80s, and she was driving a Camaro. And um, Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. I love that. She, she's an interesting little little lady. You know, your unit stood empty for years, remember? And then we ha- I had this happy hour because I love drinking wine at Figaro. And I had that happy hour. And I, me- I think I mentioned to you, oh, it's empty. And I think that's how you came to live yeah. there. No, I got it through you mentioning that's exactly what happened because my place was like a right around the corner from you where I lived at for nine years. And I'd been saying, I need to move. I need to move. I need to move. It was really small and it flooded. They were like, 
brought in a wet vac and they were like, it's good. And I was like, no, there's mildew in this carpet. And they wouldn't. And so I just moved out like in a weekend. Like I was in, I moved into your, like happy hour was on a Friday. And I think I was in your place by Sunday, Monday, like in the apartment next years. So I thank love you. that. Oh, oh my God. My pleasure. It was so fun to have you. Like you said, it's like, it's like having a roommate without having to have a roommate because our doors right. open and I'd see you all the time, but we had our own spaces and it was just the best of times. And I was so happy you were there. And, but, and I had another friend. She had another unit standing empty that I got my other friend into. I mean, it was she was good to us for comedy. I wrote her a thank you letter with roses. When we got bought out of that unit, I sent her. I walked so over. nice of you. I was like, thank you for helping my comedy career by letting me live here at this low rent. For it was really cheap. We had, and we had big places. Our places were really big and we did not pay it. When I told people what we paid, people were like, wait, what? For the, and it was, we had big one bedroom. We, yeah, we had like so little condos almost. They were, it was, they were spacious. nice. Well, they, ch- they kicked us out. Uh, they bought us out. And then they, you know, upped it to probably four times sure, as much. Sure. It was like insane what it is what it is now. But Those were great times. That's a great memory. And then yeah. our back neighbor had his own little weird house. Oh, he yeah. Had- a little visitor that would always come through named, I won't name her, but she was yeah. always like uh, in various stages of undress and yelling and singing and climbing. Yeah, there was, um, there was a lot of uh, occasionally some beer bottles smashed against the side of my wall, occasionally sitting on my steps, putting on way too much chapstick, a lot of, a lot of character there. We don't really sure what was going on there, but again, with cheap rent, what comes with it? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> if you pay cheap rent, you're going to get some additional residents. That's just it. You're really not getting out as well as you thought you were. <laughs> That's the thing about being an adult too. You're like, sometimes you spend the money and it's absolutely worth it. And you're like, oh, right. I don't need to live in fear of a growler. <laughs> A bottle breaker. Um, we never figured out what the heck was going on, but we had so much fun trying to figure it out. And then some of my other favorite memories are we went to coffee one time and we were laughing about this character. Uh, I wanted to do a parody of a one person show and we were laughing. Oh. So you were making me laugh. And I said, Hey, would you want to direct it? You said, yes. I had so so much fun with you directing this parody of a one-person show. It was called Fabrice Johnson, A Personal Journey of the Soul. We did it, it at Comedy so Stage and somewhere else. I just had Broadway Barbara on my uh, oh, podcast. In the, greatest. the greatest. The greatest. The ge- a gift to us all. A gift to us Leah all. Leah Broadway Barbara. Like my favorite thing ever. I go to Bar- Broadway Barbara shows and laugh like a child. Like I, I'm the most pure laugh. Like I'm watching Carol Burnett when I watch her. Like it's just the most joyous. It is exactly my sense of humor. <laughs> and I love that character so much. But your show was so brilliant. And it was before I think I had ever done my own solo show. But really? it was I think so. I think I did that show before I'd ever done one myself. Maybe I'd done one, but like it was, I think what kept me from doing solo shows, every fear I had about bad solo shows is what your character did, is what Fabrice Johnson did. Because she just made every mistake in the book. The show had no content. It was about a middle child who had to move a lot. That was her plight. No, she only moved once, I think, or she moved twice. 
and that she was deeply traumatized. I was inspired because I had gone to this reading series where people share their work and someone had done a 10 minute chunk of their one person show and nothing happened in it. And Uh I remember thinking it would be so funny to do a show where someone's trying to really share something deep, but has no life experience. Exactly. It's just so obvious when you go to a lot of one person shows in Hollywood, especially it's a lot of people just want to get discovered. And so they rent a theater and they kind of like have a thing, like come to my show and they do like a showcase of what they can do as actors. And the show kind of has no form. So I will say I lived in fear of doing a solo show. I highly recommend people watching this. Do your own show. Absolutely do it. It is so satisfying. It's terrifying and wonderful. But like do it when you have something to say and you have to do it in that format. Don't do it just because you want to get on TV or like you're just like everyone else is doing solo shows. I want to get in Hollywood Fringe this year or whatever. Like do it when you're like, I have this story that I have to tell and then do it because it's I didn't do it for so long because I was just afraid of it. I did parodies of solo shows and I directed yours and I did sketches at Groundlings where I did like pretentious actors doing their solo shows. But it all came from my fear of it. So when it's good or when it's like personal, it's really great. But just you know, have something personal to say. And, um, but is that, is Febreze like available to watch? Do you have it on like streaming anywhere? Or? That is such a good question because I always wanted to film it and I never did. And that's a regret of my life. Cause I loved working on that with you. Yeah. That was so and much fun. There must be a comedy central tape of it somewhere in my garage. Cause we just need sure. that I need to dig out because I gave us tapes of everything we did there, but that would be such a good one to go back and watch. I remember like I had you just doing stupid stage business. And at one point you, you found an apple and you took a bite out of it, but didn't even really eat it and threw it away. It was so dumb. So, and then all those George Michael dances you did and your feet were in um, Kleenex boxes. It was insane. And then you would come out before the show and and you would, Give a speech to the audience, put away your candies. <laughs> and you said this show is gonna go deep. It's gonna get real. A lot of people aren't prepared for how real. And then we had fake headshots on oh, I remember the fake headshots. And they were in the lobby and it said for Breeze Johnson, personal journey of the soul after a SAG eligible, currently seeking representation. <laughs> and then the Programs were all my resume. Oh my gosh. It was so insane. It was so fun. That's a great memory. And I wish I had done more with that. I'm going to look for that tape. But then I also loved casting you because you're such so brilliant. Um, oh my God, I love doing your things. I love doing Coco Lip Shits and I love doing um, Romantic Encounters. Uh, yeah. You were amazing. And I I even wrote like another, we were writing another pilot with you in mind, but that didn't move forward. But I just have been long time, long time fan of yours. Oh and my. I love, I was just thinking of all the memories. I think we met at the Groundlings, like at a wow. I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. And I remember you introduced me to Kristen Wig at a coffee oh. shop and I was the tooth fairies with her, but right. And then when I talked to Broadway Barbara, she was like, Oh, Drew directed my first show. And I was like, all right. 
Yeah, I directed her first show, and that's when she did a a bunch of. It was all about how she can't wait to get old because she only wants to play old ladies. And I think she was in her twenties when she did, we did that show, and she did all old lady characters, and one of them was Broadway Barbara, and that was like, and I felt. So I'm like proud daddy when I go to that show and see how successful it is and what a hit. I'm always like so happy to be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I directed her. Oh yeah. Because I just, I I love her so much. Oh, that's UPS drove right by and it's giving really good lighting. Oh I'm yeah. A, now, oh, find your light. Sunshine hag. But you know, hey, we take it. We take our moments. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, well, first of all, this podcast is called Lit. So I wanted to ask you what's currently lighting you up, what's bringing you joy, any products, experiences. I know you watch a lot of theater. Anything that's bringing you light. I will say this. It's the way I, uh, first of all, like I'm really, I'm doing a lot of live improv shows and I'm really enjoying that. I to bring it back to dangerous cookies. I didn't do it for a while and I got to a time where I was like feeling really in my head, but I'm having a lot of fun. I don't really do new year's resolutions, but I, I, if I had one, I'm like, enjoy the moment. Just enjoy it. Don't future trip. Don't feel like, uh, what does this mean? Or oh, am I going to be bad or whatever? Just have a great time. Remember when we couldn't do that, embrace it. So that's been a lot of fun personally. Then I have to say, I just finished the show that everyone's watching and talking about on HBO, The Last of Us. I loved it. And it also opened my mind about how with the wave of the future being video games and zombies and all this stuff that I'm like, oh God, please don't let that be the future. And I'm like, oh, I love this. It gives me hope that like a video game could be so moving and that it still involves like so much humanity and uh, and it's uh, funny and, you know, and I, it made me sob like and it's terrifying. And I was like, so it, it's it's inspiring me like, OK, if that's where we're moving, how exciting to, that, that it's going there uh, instead of being my normal cynical self being like, oh, movies are dead. Everything's a marvel. Everything's this. I'm like, no, re- change your thinking, embrace what's happening and look for and look for the like art within that because it's there it's really good cool i gotta check that out the last of us i love um, it what's your process you mentioned you went on to direct after directing one person shows you went on to do five right so like what was your process from directing parodies to sort of stepping into that main man energy how did that work for you i had a really good director uh, for my first two, I mean, I had great directors for all of them, but same director did the, my first two. And he was really good about keeping me on story. And like, you know, he basically signed me up to do Sit and Spin, though, which I know you've done a bunch before too, but it's just storytelling. And I had this story about Maya Angelou. She was a teacher of mine in college. And I was like, I kind of like had this crazy story about working with her. And then I had, a, and then he just signed me up to do it. And I was so scared. And I had a great time. And then I had another story about a, uh, a teacher that had a breakdown in class and like held us hostage basically for the cl- for an hour. So I was like, I have all these crazy teacher stories. And so Anderson Gabrick, who directed those first two, you know Anderson as well. Yeah, he was like, all right, you're going to do a show about teachers and you're a new teacher because I, I, I still do teach improv. And it was like your fears as a teacher, your like the things you learned as a teacher and as a student. All of that, like, and make a show about that. Not like, here's my life story. Here's everything I've ever done. But he kept me really, like, on theme. And then I had another whole set of stories about drugs, about, like, when I've done drugs, I usually, like, I've had a lot of crazy experiences where I just mess up. I, I just, 
I show up when I shouldn't, you know, so I had these fun stories about like drugs. And so one show was just about that. He gave me the power to sort of say, if you're going to do a solo show, think to like that you're going to do several of them so that your one show isn't like your entire life in an hour because nobody can do that. That's boring. It's too daunting. It's and it's too vague. So like he had me do that. And then I got bored about my own life and I just started to write characters in these shows. And so my last two shows were I played characters and one of which I play one character talking to three uh, chairs as if there are other characters on stage with me. And then another show, I played nine characters all talking to one person. So they're all talking to the same person. I just sort of mix it up every time I do it to sort of see like, oh, what's challenging me? And what's a fun way to tell this new story? And and now I've just written a new play. I've like extended and I have a five actor play that I'm going to do a reading of in April, April 10th at Dynasty Typewriter. It's called Messy White Gaze. And it is, it's me and four other actors, but I can't do it alone. I need people on stage and it involves a murder and it's hopefully fun, but I'm just in the process of writing it. So it's just sort of like following what I want to write and just like what challenges me. And when I don't have a, when I don't have the job, like the paycheck saying you have to write X, Y, and Z, it's just sort of like, what do I want to talk about? What makes me laugh and try it, put it up. And if it bombs, try something else, you know, that's kind of how you have to do it. I think. Yeah. And what is your process with writing it? Does it vary? Do you go like, I'm going to write an hour a day. I'm going to go to Palm Springs and check myself into a hotel for a weekend. Or like, how does it work for you? It it works in spurts for me. Like I kind of have to, I have to carve out time. And I usually like, I write in these long stretches. So I will take like a day and write a lot. And then I take a lot of time off and I go back. And then sometimes I, I just make myself write all the way through till the end, like have a draft and then go back and edit Try not to spend too much time staring at a blank screen, worrying about what my first word is. I actually just looked at my play and I'd send it out to all these people. And I realized the very first line is missing a word. And I'm like, oh, I was, I really needed to proofread, you know, the play because I'm just trying to get it out. I'm like, just trying to like get the thing out because I think you can cut a lot just out of, out of insecurity, out of like, oh, that's not good. Or let me just wait until it's perfect. And it's like, just write until it's done, a version of it's done. And then go back through and like rewrite and, and, and put it up and see what works. And cause you don't always know. Um, sometimes you, the thing you think is needs to cut it like gets a huge laugh or people really like. So, um, I try to get out of the way of it, but I sort of let, just kind of let it go. Like I try to let it flow. And then if I'm not feeling it, I have to go away from it. And sometimes I just have to go on a walk and kind of think about it. And, but time is on, uh, is good too. Just time away from it. It's just as helpful, I think. And I've done retreats, I've done like Palm Springs, I've done that. New, I, I, This latest one is set in New York and I tricked myself into a hotel in New York City and for a week and just stayed there and wrote and went to shows at night and saw friends at night. But during the day, I was just in the room all day writing. So, yeah. Where do you put it up? Do you set a date before you write it or do you get a draft and go, I'm going to put it somewhere? Yeah, it depends. I Sometimes I've done that where I, I plan like, three months in advance and I just contact dynasty typewriter. I used to, you know, do comedy central stage or wherever you just go, Hey, do you have any dates? Like what's this is April. So I'd say like, or this is March. What month is it? March. So I would say like, do you have any dates in June? And they would go, all right, we have June 18th or whatever. And you're like, great. June 18th book me. And then I, then I have to have something in front of an audience. Otherwise I keep kicking the can down the street. Like I won't do it if I don't, book the date ahead of time. It's scary, but it, it always happens. You always get a show together. I'm the same way. And do you care, do you bother with length or do you just aim for like an hour and do you always get a director or do you just wing it sometimes? Yeah, I usually have a director. We usually start to time it. 
an hour is a really good time. I mean, one of mine ended up being 80 minutes, but it really was just stretching it out and letting me breathe through it. I didn't add much material, but it was like under an hour. And then we're like, what if we just took moments to pause and it added almost 20 minutes to the show that I think has made it better just because that character has to listen a lot and behave a lot and it's not all just talking so much. So you just find it as you go. And, you know, I don't think you should ever go over 90 minutes. I mean, if you're Julie Sweeney or uh, Lily Tomlin, great, sure. But when you're starting out, like I would say 45 to 80 minutes is great. You know, something like that. Do you uh, structure it or do you find the inherent structure the more you do it? I find that structure as I go. Like, and I'm not great with structure. That's one thing that I always get notes on and it's not my best thing. So I kind of just kind of write and I like to have characters just kind of talking and behaving. And then it's like, oh, right. I have to kind of put the story in a little bit later. So, and I sometimes get help with somebody who's better at that. Sometimes my director, I get a director who's really good with structure and they will tell me move this or cut that or blow this up a little bit more. We need more here to explain X, Y, and Z. So that's that's not one of my strengths, but I usually lean on other people to show me what that is. Have you filmed all of them? I guess I have. Yeah. How so, is that? I don't know, so this new one is just a reading, so I don't know that we're going to film that one yet. Maybe we will, but um, the, all the other ones have filmed. And two of them are on Broadway HD. Um, they are streaming on broadwayhd.com. So Bright Colors and Bold Patterns is one of them. And Happy Birthday, Doug is the other one. They're on streaming. That's so cool. And how is that working with them? Did they come film you or you just send them a tape or how does it work? They came when I was doing the shows in New York, they came and saw the run that I was doing in New York of Bright Colors and Bold Patterns because we ran for about five months off Broadway there. And so they approached us and they do an amazing job because they've filmed two shows. They come and see the show multiple times. and They take copious notes of all the blocking and they set up multiple cameras and then they edit together two performances that they tape and they don't sweeten it. They don't do it like a comedy special. They don't add any laughs. They make it feel very much like you're in a theater. There were a couple moments where like I always got a laugh in this moment and they and I didn't on the thing. And I remember a producer was like, we got to add laughs there. And they were like, no, we don't do that. That, that moment didn't get a laugh and we don't. So they make it very much like you're in the theater and that night for whatever reason, they just didn't laugh at it. Or I didn't hit it the same way or, you know, who knows why, but I like that about it. Cause it felt very like you're catching the show that night. You're not getting the most edited pristine version of it. You're getting like a performance one night. With Happy Birthday, Doug, I was doing that right when pandemic hit. So th- we filmed that in quarantine. And so I didn't do that in front of an audience. That was that was one of those that I did at my friend Jim Hansen's house. So they're different. Um, and that one plays very differently without an audience. Like, I'd like to film that one one day with an audience because it just is a different vibe, you know. How how long do you like to run it before you film it? Does that vary? I don't know. I think it's just like when after we've been done, I mean, you know, it's like I, after I've done like a bunch of shows in L.A., and when I'm lucky enough to get a run in New York and I've, I've run for like, I mean, we were in the middle of our run of Happy Birthday Dog when pandemic hit, but I, I got like five weeks in. So at least I got some of a run there. And then I came back. I did it for a week last year during Pride and I might go back again. I don't know. I just sort of like feel it out and then kind of go, all right, I think it's ready. But I've also thought about going back and doing the other ones again live because I'd miss them. So be fun for sure and how do you like you say you're doing a reading of your next one is it going to be you how does that work you reading for friends are you reading for a real audience we're leaving reading for a real audience you know we're, we're like having tickets and people showing up and hearing it out loud you know and 
It's a dynasty, which is a big theater. I have an amazing cast that we haven't officially announced yet, but there's some really amazing people in it that I'm very excited about. And I, you know, I was moving them around. I'm not, I was like, I think I know how everybody's, who people are going to play. And then we'll show up that afternoon and read it as a group. And then we'll just do it in front of the crowd and, you know, see how it plays. That's so cool. So that's not a one person show. That's a play. No, that's a five. That's a five actor play. Oh, fabulous. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Uh, Okay, cool. Well, I'd love to have you. I just, one more thing. I'm doing my podcast again, Minor Revelations, which I've had off. I took a break and that was seven years ago. So I'm doing it again uh, independently. So uh, check out that as well. I'd love, let's talk, Mel, because I'd love to have you on that as well. And just, you know, it's just share anything you want to talk about. It's like, I I bring on people that I love and just kind of say like, what's something that you've never revealed before? What what have you never talked about before on a podcast? Small, big, whatever, but just not necessarily all the same bullet points that you always hit. So it's been really fun getting that back. That is such a fun premise. And I will have to dig deep because what have I not shared? I've revealed I know a lot of you say that, but also like some people give really small things or they, it's maybe something you've shared to friends, but it's just sort of like what you don't always talk about on the thing. And like, you know, something about, a lot of people talk about childhood stuff. People talk about a weird thing that drives them crazy about people in the world now. Like, oh, I hate when people say blah, blah, blah. It can be really small like that. Or it can be like, like I revealed that I was a great, huge Grateful Dead fan in the in like in high school. Which I was like, I don't think anybody would think that about me, you know? See that. How does that even work? You know what? They had some juicy hits. They were amazing. They are amazing. I love I love the dead. And I just, but I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's random. But yeah, I love yeah. them. Yeah. Trucking. Got my chips. Oh, cast got my chips cast in. <laughs> I went to one of their shows and it was one of the worst experiences of my life because oh, I no. Mushrooms, and I oh, think no. bad mushrooms or something. And I oh, had such a spiral, and that's the last time I ever. No, I'm not going to say that was the last time because then I I gave it a second chance. The mushrooms, not the dead, not but, the Grateful uh, Dead. <laughs> but I, so who is at fault here? <laughs> I would love to do your podcast or any of your other stuff, of course, always. I think you're doing a crowdfund, by the way, everyone should donate to Drew's crowdfund for minor yeah, revelations. We're, we're almost at our goal, but like we're about $500 away. So, I mean, please, anything, five bucks, 10 bucks, we appreciate it because we're doing it all independently. I'm not working with the studio this time. So I have like just all people helping me because I'm an idiot about things. What do you mean? Like what happened with, now you had another thing, glitter in the garbage, and then you had minor revelations. Now what's your podcast journey been? Like, were you on a network? Why did you leave? Why this? I was on, uh, glitter in the garbage was on Earwolf, the very first season of Earwolf. I was in the, like, getting stage with that. I loved it. They were awesome. But like after a year, our contract was up and I wanted a break. So we kind of parted ways. And then this other network called Feral Audio, uh, started by a sound engineer at Earwolf, started that. A few years later, I picked up and did a whole different podcast, this Minor Revelations one. Because also Glitter in the Garbage was so fun, but it I, it was an improvised podcast where we all played characters. And it was really hard to edit. And I had only put comedy people on to do characters and did you, you did that one, didn't you? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I you did were, it with yeah. Taylor. Oh, and Taylor Negron. That's right. I had you and Taylor on there. That was a magical episode and how great that we got to know Taylor Negron. RIP. 
magician, master, angel. Um, And then, so this one, I just wanted people to be like real and like not do bits. I was at a point in comedy where I was like, I'm so tired of everyone like one-upping and doing crazy voices and waka waka, look at my wig. So I was like, I wanted just people just honest. And so that's when I started my revelations. And then I was doing a lot of stuff in New York and I was just getting burned out and I wasn't able to keep it up. So I took a break. Then Feral Audio folded and they gave us our shows back and everything was fine personally. But then I just kept meaning to do it and haven't made it happen until 2020. That was in 2017. And I haven't made it happen until 2023. Now I'm just like, instead of going somewhere, I I have a neighbor who's been doing a lot of podcasting with other, he's got some successful ones that he's been producing. And he's like, I can do it for you. Let's do it together. So we're starting with that. And I'm just, we're doing it real grassroots. We're building out, we're getting our graphics people, we're getting our, all of our equipment and all that from our Indiegogo. So it's, you know, I am paying all of them. So that's the first order of business. So very touched people supporting. That is so exciting. And where will you film it? What will you do with it? Like you're going to actually film it and put on YouTube or like, how's it going to work? Yeah, we're going to have it filmed and it'll be on YouTube for our Patreon subscribers so they can watch it. But then you can just listen to it. Uh, We're figuring that out now, but we think we're just going to have it on like on iTunes that we might have it on like, we're, we're talking about like a cast on that. He knows way more about all that stuff than I do. But if you follow me on social, everybody, I'll absolutely direct you when we have it up. We don't have the new ones up yet, but they're all, the old ones are up on iTunes. Now we have about, I think almost 50 of them. I think. How long did it take you to record those 50? Were you doing like one a week or what was your process? Yeah, I was doing one a week and now we're going to do one every two weeks. Cause we're just going to make this, this needs to be like, we're busy. We have a lot of stuff going on and I want it to be worth it and fun and not feel like daunting. Cause it's hard to doing this once a week. I mean, it's you know, so you do all this stuff. It's like, it comes back around before you know it. And you're like, Oh gosh, it's a full-time job. Yeah. I've been, it's, I've been in a love hate relationship with it. I've been like, I love to see friends and talk, but right. then it's the re- there's so many other jobs involved. That's why it's so great that you can hire a team. Like now I have yeah. a podcast producer, which is so, he's so wonderful and does such a good job with the audio, but like, there's still like 10 jobs I need to do for this. Right. But are you just passionate about it? Yeah. I'm just like, I missed it. I, it felt, it's so nice. I love having people on to just like share and be real. And I feel really good when I'm done with talking to people and it's a great check-in with people because you know we don't all get to see each other unless we're working on something together usually and it just sparks really great conversations and I just feel like you know creative people I'm trying to like widen the net to people you know all different fields but people are a lot more than the one thing that they sort of put out first in the world like you know and so that's what I'm finding and I'm loving it so yeah that's so great and you teach do you still teach I do. I'm on my way to teach today. I, I I don't teach that much anymore, but I love it. You know, once or twice a year, I have a class that I pop in and I sub a lot over at the Groundlings. And it just is, I don't have to think about myself for three and a half hours. It's really nice. I can just like focus on them and, you know, so yeah. I love teaching. It's so great. What advice yeah. would you give someone who's wanting to podcast or do a solo show? And film it. Because by the way, a lot of people don't film it. They just do it. I would just say like, do one step at a time. Like, um, don't bite off more than you can chew. Stay small. Like start, like if you're doing a storytelling type show, start with like one story at a time. Like do your show at like live storytelling shows. Do your story rather at different shows and do 10 minutes 
and then do it and build, build a show that way in front of different audiences. And then, um, put it up. I also, cream always rises. Like you really have to go pretty gonzo to do a show. That's so bad. That's like a Febreze Johnson show unironically. You know what I mean? You have to really, if you do a show, that's not that great. Who cares? Like you did it, put it and like film it and put it up. And you know, people don't share like a fair to middling thing. They, you know, if it, it just try something else after it, but like, my point is, don't wait until you think it's good enough to share. Get it out there. Do it. Put it up. But also don't rent out the Amundsen for six months and think, like, I'm <laughs> going to take over Hollywood. Like, small. Like, a couple things. Build it. Read it in front of, like, a few friends. That, like, you know, have a dinner party and say, can you hear me read this? You know? Um, rely on your creative friends to hear you and give you honest feedback. And just get the ball rolling, you know, and just do it. And then by the next thing, you know, you're like, I have a show that I'm doing. Film it after you've done it a couple times. Don't, I mean, if you want to film the first one just to watch and sort of see, but it's probably not ready for, you know, the first time you film it. It's may not, it might be too much. To, it's too daunting. What about people who can't get motivated to do that? What would you say to them? I, I just, I say like, do it. I know that sounds so obvious, but like, I can't get motivated. It's like cleaning my room. It's like, I, when I start writing, I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. You can't make me do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to clean it. I'm like a child about writing. And the second I open my laptop, I just start. I'm like, oh, this feels so good. I love this. And even if I wrote for 10 minutes that day, I leave and I feel so much more accomplished than if I didn't do anything. So just think about how, how good you feel. It's like working out. You don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to work out. You do it. You're sweaty. And you're like, I feel so good after I did that. So it's just a matter of like tricking yourself. Give yourself a reward. Promise yourself a cupcake or promise yourself a massage at the end. Like, I'm going to do this nice for myself. Take yourself out to dinner after you do this thing. Like, reward yourself and then, you know, sort of trick yourself into working. And then you'll go, oh, I actually really love this. This is actually really fun. Why am I living in fear of this? And do I not want to do it? I totally agree. And what advice do you have for, for podcasters, especially me? Same, I guess. It's like, just, I, it's very scary to like do all this on my own, but I'm like learning as I go. Like yesterday I had to record my engineer couldn't be there and he left all these steps and I couldn't figure out something. And I just got on the phone and we figured it out. And I was like, Oh, I figured something out today. You know, I think it's just like not telling yourself you can't is the thing. And then you'll, you'll have time for it, you know, and not overthink it. Like don't put pressure on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Be where you're at, you know, be like, all right, it is what it is. Cause some episodes already feel better and worse to me and my own estimation, but it's like, who cares? It's you're, you're doing it. You're putting it out there. And what you might think is your worst might really affect somebody. Somebody might need to hear that guest say something on your show that really inspires them. So don't hide from it. That's really good advice because there's some times where I'm like, that was an amazing episode. And there's some other ones where I go, Oh, I don't know. I shared some vulnerable stuff. I'm having share shame and take right. that down, but I just like leave it. And then I do get those emails that are like, Hey, thanks for saying that. Thanks for recommending yeah. that your, your guest really uh, helped my life. And it's like, Oh, you know, we don't know what's helping people and 100%. keep shining your light, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I love that. Well, I am so excited that you're bringing your podcast back and, um, has anything really helped you in your career? Like what it's the month of March. So lucky breaks. Have you had any luck? Have you had any breaks? Did you have any great advice mentors? 
I will say what just happened, and I can't share a lot because it hasn't been announced yet. But what I will say, I, I've had, well, first of all, I've had a very hard time uh, just getting arrested in LA. Meaning, I can't get an audition lately. I am like just not going out on a lot of stuff. You know, you go through periods where you're like it's not really my time. It's just I'm gonna, you know, and so that's why I was like, just start working on your play, start doing your podcast, just create from within, and just don't worry about it because I've spent a lot of time on the couch, but something did come through in the middle of all of that. And it really came from, I've been doing these videos, these Chloe 70 parody videos for 20 years. I mean, I've been doing it on stage for 20 years and and the videos for at least 15, I want to say maybe almost 15. Somebody, a very, like an, like an auteur, like a film director that I've loved forever has offered me a part in his film and I'm going to go do it. And it was an offer and it was something that because he likes the videos and I'm just so touched because if I auditioned for this movie, I would not have gotten this part. I, I think they would have gone for a bigger name and uh, it's a small part in a really cool movie. And when it gets announced, I'll fill in more, but it came from just doing my own stuff. And then somebody like really cool seeing it and going, Hey, come be in my movie. And it's shooting in Rome and it's going to be, I'm very excited. So that happens. That's happening in May. You know, I just, it's like the lesson is like, just stay on your own path, do your own thing. Because I mean, literally I can't even go in for, I mean, like it's just lately I've been like, whoa, okay. So it's really nice to have this thing that's happening to go, oh, this person really, you know, likes what I do and wants to have me involved. So I'm excited. Oh my gosh. So wonderful. And I, we've been on that similar journey many years because I know we used to talk about this on our, on our dinners and stuff is like, like for me too, most of my stuff has come through people liking the stuff I created on my own and then a role in their thing. But it's kind of the Owen Wilson thing too. You know, they wrote Bottle Rocket. Then people knew what to do with them. And same with Swingers, right? And so same with so many people. So that's like so inspiring and also so empowering that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Because you feel like there's nothing you can do. You feel powerless normally. Like you're just like, somebody has to choose you. They have a whole wall of people. Everyone's good at a certain point. And then it's just like, do you fit? You might be the best auditioner, but you don't fit with a thing based on X, Y, and Z. Or you're just the wrong fill in the blank. We're all that. All you can do is create. All you can do is make your own stuff. And then people come to you. And it's so much nicer. Like, I'm telling you, if I heard that this movie was happening, I could have pushed and tried to get in the door. And and if they weren't into me or I wouldn't get seen. Like I'm not at a point in my career that I would get seen for a movie like this. And so this was just took somebody going, Hey, him, I like what he does. Come be in this. You know, you can't make those things happen. You have to just like do what you do and then just allow the good stuff to happen. And then, and then also just like not take that for granted because immediately you start to go, Oh, well, what's next or what's in between that. And it's like, no, just enjoy that. Embrace that, you know, that kind of brings you back to what you're working on right now, what's lighting you up, which is like enjoying this moment and enjoying like what a gift. And is it a re- like a really cool part? Are you excited to play it? Oh, absolutely. It's very exciting. It's based on a book. And I just will say that my character is in the book and it's like a classic book. So it's like really cool to like read the book and go, oh, that's me. I'm in a book from the 50s. 
you know, it's a small part, but a really fun part. And like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm very excited. I love that. I'm so excited for you. Well, we should uh, wrap this up, but I did want to ask where you're at with the El Compadre saga, which, (laughs) which was so amazing. What happened with that? Walk us through it. Well, I mean, you know, really briefly, I was on a date and we were finishing up on a Monday night and we had our arms around each other and we were kissing after we had had burritos and, you know, a margarita. So we were, you know, we were actually talking like, hey, let's take things slowly and having that conversation. And I had a lovely waiter. We had great time. Everything was great. And then we had a manager come over, an older guy that came over and was basically like, you guys aren't allowed to do that. I immediately was like, oh, are people complaining? And he said, it doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States. You're not allowed to do that. Which I don't know what that means, but that's what he said. It's like, oh, this is homophobia. This is what's happening right now. Because other couples around us, straight couples, have their arms around each other. And we're not making out. We just ate beans and rice. And we're it's a Monday night. It's like 630. We're getting ready to go to a show. And I posted about it. And it blew up. And it went everywhere. And then I was in the... LA Times and The Advocate and PMZ and it went all over everywhere. So it was a very weird moment for a few days. I was fielding a lot of phone calls about it, but it was very unfortunate that it happened. I hated that it happened. It was very quick. We didn't cause a scene. We just left immediately, but it, it was like afterwards we were like, oh, we have to call this out. It's a thing where homophobia, just like misogyny, transphobia, racism, all of it can happen in Los Angeles today. And you have to call it out and we have to do better. I don't love being at the center of those kind of things. That's not really my brand, but I was also happy to take it on for a while and, and speak up. So hopefully people won't do that as much, at least anymore. Yeah, I would think not. I mean, and what I had a lot of like people jump to my defense. It was really, and just, and on just, and people that didn't know me, it's not about me at all. It was just about like, just like, that's not how you treat people, not in, you know, this day and age in a, in a echo park. Hello. Very gay neighborhood. But anyway, I, I mean it, it, well, the whole thing was so shocking and did the employee ever apologize to you? No, I never heard back from the restaurant officially. Now the waiter from the restaurant reached out and sent me a, sent a lovely email Oh, the waiter and, apologized and said, the waiter was like, you guys were so lovely and had a great time with you. And I'm so sorry that this happened, which was so nice. And, uh, which is fine. I don't need to hear the restaurant. I don't need to I mean, people are like, they need to give you free food and margaritas for life. I'm like, oh, I'm not going back there. I would feel so weird going back there. Like I'm here for my free margaritas for life. Like so creepy and weird. And then it would feel like I was doing that to try to get free margarita. I just like, no, we're good, babe. We're good. Yeah. I don't want to go back. And also just, I know, I just feel strange uh, in that space, but I'm glad that other people are going there. I don't, I never wanted to take business away from that place or, you know, uh, make anybody else that works there suffer because that it's, you know, it's a, it's a mom and pop restaurant and it's, and it's Los Angeles. Like I love those old, like LA based places. I, I'm glad it's, you know, those exist. So uh, that's what I also hated. I hated that we, it was there. Like it'd been so much easier if it was, you know, at a, at a corporation, which would be like, Oh, fuck them. But it's not. Yeah, It was but, really was a really weird moment but anyway I'm so glad that you called it out I'm so proud of you all you're doing are you still in Beachwood I'm in Beachwood yeah in place okay awesome well I love you so much thanks for coming by today 
Thank um, you for having me. Where can everyone find your next happenings and going? Oh, on? you can follow me on the Instagram at, at Drew underscore Drogi, D-R-O-E-G-E. I'm also on Twitter at Drew Drogi. You know, I'm easy to find. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thanks, Mel. Have a good one. Much love. Bye. Lit with Melinda Hill. Hosted by Melinda Hill. Produced and edited by me, Todd Donald. Executive produced by Melinda Hill. And music by The Polarity and Skip Whitman. Thank you for listening.